Great job, Andrea. You may be seated. God, we are so delighted that we can come together today, not only here in this place, but obviously online this morning. People that we may never know or never get to know are watching us and have invited us into their home. And I trust that as we share your word and unpack it here and there, that you'll use it to bring glory and honor to your name. It is overwhelming that this story that has been told for so many, so many, so many, so many years has never lost its wonder and awe. And no matter how often we sing these songs or celebrate this day and this week, there is still something incredible about it. May we never lose the wonder until we see you face to face. Fall down on our knees in front of you. Thank you. Until then, we sing, we celebrate, we worship and adore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. <clears throat> Can you even imagine what it's going to be like that day when we really do fall on our knees and adore him and worship him in person? I mean, it's incredible what that's going to be like. Never want you to take that for granted. We do welcome those of you who are online. Bob already did that this morning. If you never know who's watching us or allowing us into their home, but we deeply appreciate the opportunity that God has given us through our technology to be able to do that. I did have a business owner that I didn't even know uh, watched our services, say to me the other day, and I've known her for years, who said, I discovered you online this last couple of weeks, and I enjoyed watching the service together. So if you're one of those, we are uh, thrilled that you're here. Trust that you can continue to enjoy us together as we celebrate it this particular way, as well as in person. If I were to ask you what are some of your favorite parts of the Christmas season, i got to believe that if I took a survey, they'd be all over the place. For some of us, it would be the lights. Did you notice the lights came up awfully early this year? People began to decorate well before Thanksgiving. Shortly after Halloween, things began to pop up all over the place. As a lot of people kept saying, I just wanted some brightness in my life in a world of uncertainty. And so they began to light up everything. For some people, it would be the opportunity for family traditions maybe or that are going to be a little bit different this year, but hopefully some of your family or maybe all your family is going to be able to celebrate with you. For a lot of us, it was certainly different than Thanksgiving, and no one knows exactly what it's going to be like. And so for that surprised person that calls you and said, hey, mom or dad, I'm going to be there this year for Christmas. Maybe it's a family member who's moved away who this year gets to come home that you haven't seen for a while. For some of you, it's that gift that you know is perfect. You've worked at it. You thought about it. You knew it. They didn't hint at it this year. They didn't give you the symbol. They didn't give you the sign. They didn't give you the clipping. You actually knew what you wanted to do. And there was not one hint throughout the season. And all of a sudden, you come to that moment and you thought, this is the year where I'm going to blow them away. And it's the perfect one. For those of you who have grandkids, man, it's letting them open them up. There's probably no greater thrill than a parent or a grandparent watching kids open it up for the first or second or third or fourth time, and as they grow and mature, it gets even more fun. I still remember Seth. I know I'd thrown him under the bus a number of times, who said to me either the seventh or eighth year, said, I've waited all of my life for this present. <laughs> I said, dude, you're eight. <laughs> Wait until you get socks and T-shirts. Then you wish you were always a child. For those of you who have that surprise, on Christmas morning that you didn't see coming. I love watching all those military 
commercials or whether it's I drink Maxwell House, but I love the Folgers commercials. When all of a sudden that that person that uh, everybody's waited for came home for Christmas and you wondered how long they're going to be able to stay with you and what it's going to be like as they go to the next deployment. My favorite part, if you know me well enough, of Christmas is the music. I mean, listen to Andrea sing this morning and watching Mark play and, and some of these people that I've watched grow up here for the last 25 years. It's been a, just a delight to be able to enjoy that. And there is just something about the music of Christmas that literally stirs your soul. You can be down, you can be uh, wondering, you can be disappointed. And then all of a sudden that particular song, I've been listening to 3WS forever listening to Christmas songs. I'm going to be disappointed on the 27th when they get back to their normal repertoire and I have to listen to something else. But there is something about Christmas music that is absolutely overwhelming. Now, if I don't hear Elvis sing Blue Christmas anymore, I'm okay with that one. (laughs) But let me show you my age. Karen Carpenter's Christmas songs. Some of the best. A Holy Night. Probably one of the greatest ever written. Silent Night. All the ones that we know that are done so incredibly well. Joy to the World is one of my favorite. Do you know Joy to the World, when it was written by Isaac Watts, was not written for Christmas. It was written for the second coming. Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Probably no greater question I've been asked over the last number of months is, do you think these are signs of the times? Do you think Jesus is coming back? Do you think the Lord's going to return? Do you think it's soon? My answer to all of those is yes. It is a sign of the times. He told us that. I do believe the Lord's going to return. I do believe it could be soon. I know it's imminent, which means it could happen at any moment. And I can't even fathom the day when I get to sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, and he really has come. You and I have been on this side of Christmas. You and I have been on this side of the cross. You and I have been on this side of the story. There is no guarantee on earth as to when you are born. But can you imagine what it was like in the Old Testament where they waited and 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 then died, never seeing it. Now here we are on this side of the cross and we don't have to wait for the Savior. We know he came. Emmanuel, as Joe said a few weeks ago, God with us took on flesh let us see what God is like. My one grandson is a special needs child, and now everything is online for them. One's able to go back to school, the other one's still online. And so I asked Erin the other day, you busy for a moment? She said, Julian is doing show and tell. And I text her back and I says, what's he doing? Showing and telling Jesus. I said, he's going to show them Jesus. Yes, I can't wait to see this. Send me a video. And he's online with her and he's got the manger scene and she's saying what do you have today Jesus I thought I've always wondered what that looks like in the eyes of God when a child wants to show somebody else what Jesus looks like and then when you recognize John 1:14, he became flesh and dwelt among us so everything you wondered about as a child Jesus experienced Every disappointment, every discouragement, every issue, every circumstance, every change, every challenge, Jesus experienced all of that. So we don't have a God who's out there somewhere who doesn't understand what we go through or what we feel. We have a God who dwelt among us. As Joe wonderfully shared over the last couple of weeks and revealed to us what God looks like. I hear that from kids all the time. I wonder what God looks like. It's in Jesus. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll see exactly what God looks like. It's incredible. 
Do you ever wonder what it was like that first Christmas, before it was even called Christmas? I mean, it's a lot like Mary and Joseph were singing over the desert and through the stream, to Bethlehem we go. Now, you may be dreaming of a white Christmas, which, by the way, you don't have to dream anymore. I don't think it's going anywhere. But they weren't. It's not like they knew anything about what was going to take place and all the songs that were going to be sung for the last 2,000 years or that Handel would ever be able to come to a point of saying, I am no longer going to write for myself. I'm going to write for the glory of God. And near the end of his life, he writes the Messiah. They didn't have any of that. Do you ever wonder what it was like on that silent night? And was it really even silent? It was a holy night, but was it really silent? Well, we sang it a moment ago. It gives us a little bit of a clue in O Little Town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth an everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years. I titled the sermon, The Hopes and Fears of This Year Are Met in Him. What were their hopes? What were their fears? Do you ever wonder about that? What were they thinking? Not only what was the writer thinking when he said this, what was he looking back to? What were the hopes and fears of that night? I don't think, to be honest with you, they were a whole lot different than ours. What are your hopes? That 2020 ends, right? What are your fears that 2021 doesn't change things? When I began to think about the hopes and fears of all this year, I recognized that he's given me a perfect platform for the message that we've been sharing for the last 2,020 years. The hopes and fears of any year, specifically this year, are met in him. We all have different kinds of hopes. Obviously, in this case, that the virus goes away forever. A different life for our kids, a better life for our kids, that our kids get to go back to school, have those relationships, uh, defining things that helps them mature and grow, that they stay healthy, that financial uncertainty begins to settle out some way, and hopefully your greatest joy and greatest hope is that your kids find Jesus. I mean, the best thing that can ever happen in your life is not only that you find Jesus, but that your children find Jesus. And that you maybe have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. I mean, the greatest thrill of any parent, of any grandparent, is to know that your children know Jesus. Not just know about God, but know Christ. Being able to watch my girls grow up in church is always that challenge. Do they see it as just church and something I have to do, or do they understand what Christ has done for them personally? I've been in ministry 43 years come January. So they've grown up in church. I remember watching them every once in a while in that little country church that we were at for six years where they would sneak in while I was in the office and I would be able to watch them every once in a while and we'd take this portable pulpit, put it on a pew, and one would preach and the other one would lead singing to no one. And I realized they've been watching this a lot and they've been watching their dad lead singing forever. And then all of a sudden they come to that point where they receive Christ as their Savior and then they decide to follow Christ for the rest of their life and they come in contact with two wonderful men who knew Jesus as their Savior and invited them into their life and into our family. 
and then my grandkids get to know Christ and see Jesus, there's nothing better on this planet than that. So i got to believe that one of your hopes is that my kids, my family, know Jesus as Savior. What are some of our fears? That 2021 won't change a lot of things. The economy, taxes, sickness, illness, job loss, the uncertainty of life. i got to believe that some of the ones we have are some of the ones they have. Their greatest hope was that the Messiah would come. Christmas song that we, I don't think, sang yet, so, uh, but I think we did a couple of weeks ago. Come thou long expected Jesus is an understatement if you're living in this age. Come thou long expected Jesus is an understatement if you were living when they were living. Because they had been waiting for that forever, it seemed like. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years had gone by. 400 years, God was silent. No prophet, no angel, no voice anywhere. God seemed silent. We've heard about the Messiah. We've heard about the Messiah since the beginning of time. Since the Torah was written. We've heard about this coming Messiah. And here we are, one generation passed, another generation passed, another one passed, and yet he's not come. You get a little glimpse of that when you look at the fact that we who are followers of Jesus can't wait for the second coming of Jesus. So we know what it's like and we've heard it predicted. We all got scared when they showed the thief in the night and the distant thunder all in the 70s and then left behind came out. So we all got scared again because Jesus is coming back and I want to make sure I accept Christ before that day of everybody being taken up, especially if it's the driver of my taxi. The list is endless of all those moments when you waited and waited and waited. That was them on steroids because they'd been waiting forever for the Messiah to come. By the time of Jesus' birth, God's people had been in exile for 400 years. God had warned them, told them over time and time again, but they failed to listen to him. And he said, you're going to lose everything, but they wouldn't listen. So God sent other nations as his instruments of judgment. And then came that long, lonely period of exile where God seemed silent. All they could do was cry out to God and wait. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it, to where we are today. And then all of a sudden you open the pages of the New Testament and the story begins to change. God's silence seems to have ended. No prophet, no angel had spoken for centuries. Now all of a sudden angels begin to appear, bringing a promise. God's king is coming and Israel's long, lonely exile seems to be coming to an end. They had waited for centuries for the Messiah. That was their greatest hope. Their greatest hope was that the Messiah would come and that that coming Messiah would rescue them from their greatest fear, Romans and Roman rule. I want to tell you a story about a couple of them. A number of years ago, I did a sermon called Three Kings. It wasn't We Three Kings of Orient are because they weren't kings. They probably weren't from the Orient and... Well, the we part is biblically correct. But there are kings all the way through Scripture that gave them their greatest fear. One of them is found in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to spend some time with my dad. I've been trying to get down every week to see him, and I do deeply appreciate the car's that many of you sent after my mom passed. We were talking about the future and the past and all of those kind of things, and I said, Dad, I began to go through some of my old sermons. I'm 
preaching my last Christmas sermon as a senior pastor of Community Alliance in a couple of weeks, and I wanted to make sure I didn't repeat a lot of my stories, even though I know they've heard all of my stories. And I came to the end of one of them, and there was a piece in there written about God's timing and how God orchestrated all these events. 700 years before Christ was born, the Old Testament prophet predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem. How's that going to happen? Mary and Joseph, who the angel said is going to be the father and mother of Jesus, are from Nazareth. So how's it going to take place and how God had to orchestrate all of these events that you and I look at if, they're in the, if we're in their shoes and wonder, why in the world are we going to Bethlehem? It's so that God could pull all that together. I said, Dad, can you imagine what it would have been like if a Yugoslavian lady named Filipino wouldn't have come to the United States and married a man named Anton and started a farm and had 13 kids, you being one of them, and you who wanted his sons to be a farmer, so you had Mike Chrysik and sons written on a silo so that we could follow in your footsteps, but there came that day when you released me from being that and released me to be in ministry. And here I am now finishing up my official full-time career after 43 years. It's incredible how God orchestrates events that when you look at only that event, you wonder why. Or what's going to happen next? Or why is this taking place? And then every once in a while I have the opportunity to step back and go, wow, that's incredible. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken to the entire Roman world. And so everyone had to go back to their hometown. King James Version said a census of the entire inhabited world. You ever wonder why it says that? Basically, it's because Caesar ruled the entire inhabited world. He was power personified. The world was his, and if it got bigger, he wanted it. He'd go after it by crushing anything that got in his way. One of the things that people feared that first Christmas night was him. Another reason for their fears is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Herod was the Roman king sent to rule over Israel. When Jesus was born, the world at that time was under the rule of the Roman Empire, probably one of the greatest single empires in the history of the world. Augustus Caesar over it all, Herod over Israel. The splendor and dominance was overwhelming. They grew incredibly large through sheer power and force. Roman historians say their intention was to dominate literally the entire world. One of the amazing contrasts of that night and that event, it comes right there. <coughs> Many kings of the earth get their power through taking. But God, the true king, who really has all the power, gives his away. One of the great Christmas passages that we don't always read at Christmas is Philippians chapter 2. I would love for you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I'd love for you to at least have the same attitude of Jesus. Who being in the very nature, God. Who being God. Didn't consider equality with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all equal. If you can explain it, I'd love to spend some time with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all equal. Who considered equality with God something that he didn't have to hold on to so tightly that he couldn't let it go. He made himself nothing. 
took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And then Paul adds this word, even death on the cross. It's one thing to be obedient unto death. It's another thing, even death on the cross, because he knew exactly what that was going to entail and how incredibly awful it would be. And yet he succumbed and humbled himself and was obedient to that. It wasn't just taking on flesh. It wasn't just becoming a human. It wasn't just coming to earth. It wasn't just dying, even death on the cross. And Paul emphasizes that piece because when you realize what he emptied himself of and what he was willing to take on, you've got <coughs> to add that piece to it because he knew exactly what he was going to do. And yet he willingly did. Rome took everything by force and wanted more. Jesus had everything and gave it all away. That was the world Jesus was born into, which gives them insights of the hopes and fears of all the years met in him. Rome was ruled by a number of Caesars. The most famous we know, of course, is Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar being related to him. He had the world under his control. One king, one kingdom without end. Now you contrast that with the Messiah. You know Handel's Messiah? King of kings, Lord of lords forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. Caesar thought that about his kingdom, but his lasted two centuries. Jesus the Messiah is still the king over two millenniums. In Luke chapter 2, Caesar thinks that he's the center of attention. Today is nothing more than a memory of history, and Jesus is the center of history. B.C. before Christ, A.D. in the year of our Lord. The phrase of that day was Caesar is Lord. It was said about him that salvation is found in no one else but Caesar, for there's no other name by which you will be saved. Saved to them meant allowed to live. When Peter made his statement in Acts chapter 4 referring to Jesus, he said salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men which will be saved but through Jesus. And you often wonder if he's saying that almost in defiance of the Caesars of his day. You think salvation is in you. I'm telling you salvation is in Christ. Caesar is a memory in days gone by and for 2,000 years Christians can still say Jesus is Lord. He's the one Peter referred to as salvation comes through no other name but the name of Jesus. Caesar and Herod accumulated their wealth by heavy taxation. Some say over 70% of their people's money went to taxes. Jesus came into a world of despair and poverty. To understand the Christmas story, we have to understand how desperate they were to be rescued. How desperate they were for an answer. You and I have the answer. I got to believe that some of you at some point or the other have had people question you about what's going on in the world that we live in right now. What's going on in the world we live in, what's going on in the country we live in, what's going on in the state, the list is endless. And they wonder, what's going to happen next? They wonder, where do I turn? What do I look for? Where can I find help? You and I have the answer. Those of you who are watching online, maybe you don't know the answer. I'm going to give it to you in a moment, but you have got to have had somebody ask you that question. Where do we turn in the middle of all this uncertainty? You had the answer to that question. You turn to Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. Leads me beside still waters. 
quiets my soul. Even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need anything else but him. You and I have the answer. That's the beauty of this season. That's the beauty of being able to remember why we come together, why we're together, why we listen, why we share the story, why we light candles this week. Because you and I have the answer that the world has so desperately been looking for. And it's in Christ. And we get to share that good news. In the middle of all that hopelessness, God sends an angel to a young peasant girl named Mary. And Gabriel says, I need you to know you're going to have a son. I need you to also know you're going to give him a name. And every parent wants to name their own child. I need you to know we've already named him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. At the edge of a small town with the power of Caesar all around her, Mary sings a song. Not the song of a timid little Jewish girl, but the song of God's answer to the hopelessness of the world. His mercy in Luke chapter 1 verse 50 extends to all of those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And he scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. Jesus came not to take life, but to give life. And to give his life for us. One of my favorite songs is Mary Did You Know. I'd love to sing it for you right now, but I probably won't go on tune. But Mark Lowry, I mean, Kenny Rogers does a great job at it. But Mark Lowry is one of the ones who wrote, is I think one, the one who wrote it. And when he sings it, man, he sings it with every fiber of his being. Did you know, Mary, what your baby was going to do? Did you know that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again? Did you know your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Did you know your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. That's why when we say the words Emmanuel or sing the words Emmanuel, he can't sing it without an understanding of the fact that the God of the universe came and dwelt among us. The Caesars and Herods of the world thought they had all the power, but a 16-year-old girl reminds us of who really does have the power. King Jesus came not to take life, but to give life his own, so that you and I could experience eternal life forever. Jesus, the Son of God, saw the mess the world was into and chose to enter that world. And if you think your world is uncertain, and if you think you have fears, you have no idea what it was like in that moment on that first Christmas. And he recognized and understood that the only answer to life was himself. And so he came in the middle of the mess to offer us life and certainty and joy and forgiveness, and grace, and family, and relationships, a washing away of all of our sins, and all of our past, and all of our issues, and gives us guidance and direction, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. For everything we've ever looked for in life is found in him. That's why we tell the story over and over again. That's why we sing the songs, because you can't get to Easter without understanding what this event is all about. We can't get to the cross and you can't get to the resurrection without understanding his willingness to come and do that, even death on a cross. 
and to give his all so that we can have life. And that same Jesus that walked into that world walks into our world even in 2020 and offers what you and I have already found if we know Christ, an answer to life itself. And you and I have the privilege of being able to share it. His life, which can change our life for all eternity. All our hopes and all our fears can be met in him. Yesterday I had the privilege of being a part of Wreaths Across America. It was an opportunity to celebrate many who have sacrificed everything so that you and I could enjoy the freedom that we enjoy here in America. And it was a tribute to every veteran all across uh, the country, literally. And people gathered together and we prayed and we sang and we saluted and we just remembered the sacrifices so many people had made so that you and I can enjoy the freedoms that we sometimes, if we're not careful, take for granted. And Donna Croft here from our church organized it and said there's going to be a number of people who come. There were 850 veterans' ga- graves in just North Cemetery. I had no idea. That was just in that one cemetery. Of men and women and families who sacrificed everything so that you and I could have the freedoms that we enjoy here in this nation, even when we complain about what we don't get or what we don't have. They sacrificed their all. And as I sat in that moment and, and, and watched it unfold and recognized that for literally decades and decades and decades and decades, people had sacrificed so much for what we have in our context so much of, I began to think of the next day, which is today. And that you and I get to celebrate communion. We haven't done it for a while and not sure when we're going to be able to do it again, especially in my context and my sphere of influence, but it's an opportunity for us to hold in our hands the ultimate sacrifice of the God of the universe. On your way in, hopefully you picked up one of these. If you didn't, you need to go back and get one quickly, and you can certainly do that. And there are two pieces to it. We're trying to do this for the safety and well-being of everyone, so uh, we're not sure when we can get back to regular communion. Either way, it's two incredibly simplistic elements that are so unbelievably profound When you think about it, it takes your breath away. But Jesus would come that very night with his disciples and offer himself to them and that bread that would symbolize what he was willing to give. And then the cup that's underneath that is a symbol of his ultimate sacrifice and allowing his blood to be shed because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Now the only requirement here at Community Alliance Church to partake of communion is that you know Christ is your Savior. Somebody that I've known for over 20 years came to Christ this morning. I want to accept Jesus today. It's the only requirement to partake of this. You know Christ is your Savior. You've asked him to forgive you of your sins, which he so willingly did because he already bought and paid for them, and invite him into your life. Now, if you think running your own life is okay then you probably won't invite him into your life. But if you walk through the pages of Scripture and see what he's able to do if you let him run life, then you'll give your life to him and let him run it. And know that when this crazy, mixed up, messed up, unbelievably uncertain world is over, I get to see him face to face. And I get to sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. And I get to bow down before him personally. 
you've never accepted Christ, today would be the perfect day to do that. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Invite him into your life. I can help you with that afterward, but I'd love for you to do it now. And then what I'd love for you to do is just to take the outer wrapping off. It's a piece of plastic. And you take that off, and there's a little piece of bread underneath it. You take that, partake of it, and then you peel the gold back and the silver back, and you drink the cup. Lord, you gave everything so that we could have life for all eternity. And not just for the moment, not just to get through life or to skirt through the day, but to have life for all eternity. And so we thank you for these two symbols that remind us of the greatest sacrifice of all and who you are. To say thank you is certainly an understatement, but we do say how grateful we are for the fact that you were willing to give your all so that we could have life forever. And so we partake of these elements in your name. Share them together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here together today, whether it be here or online. For those online who maybe are looking for answers to life, please let us know how we can help you. We'd love to do that. That would be one of the greatest things that we could do for you, even if we don't see you personally. So God, bless us, protect us for those that are traveling over the next couple of days or a few days, for those that are coming home, or even are going home today. Keep us safe. May your glory and grace abound in amazing ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As much as I personally want to hug every single one of you today or on Wednesday night or Thursday, I obviously we can't. And so I trust you understand. I'm thanking you for the privilege of allowing me to be your pastor for the last 25 years. God bless you. Have a great, great Christmas. If I don't see you personally, take care. That, if you would hold that piece with you, and drop it off on the way out, we would appreciate that. God bless you.